All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Tuesday night's uh, Bible study. Uh, so I want to go through some announcements first and prayer requests before we begin tonight's uh, actual teaching. Uh, those of you who are associated with BASE, remember that the prayer warriors are going out on December 20th. Uh, you need to get with Brandy to check that information and, and you know, timing and everything, where you're meeting up, how you're going out in groups, etc. Um, remember, you can order your Britom t-shirts. Uh, you can either order them on Bonfire or you can call the office and they can walk you through how to order them on Bonfire. Uh, the, we're still... Uh, listing the IDF jacket from Danny Boys. Uh, again, you know, please call the office if you're interested. Those are going for what, $25, $25 a piece. So call the office if you're interested in placing an order for one of those. If you would like a calendar, please call the office and let us know so we can get you a calendar. Um, 27th, 12 p.m., we have our no-sale yard sale. So bring the things that you need to you know, redistribute to the community that you no longer need that are in good clean working order bring them here you'll set them up and then everyone can go through each other's stuff and decide you know i need this or i need this and take it home and whatever you bring if it doesn't get taken to a new home it doesn't get adopted please take it back home with you we can't we're not leaving anything else here at synagogue it needs to either stay in your home or find a new one that's not synagogue uh Everyone mark your calendars. Uh, July 19th through 23rd is uh, VTS. Uh, those of you who want to volunteer for VTS, um, I would say, what, January? Begin calling the office. Does that sound fine? Begin calling the office in January if you want to volunteer. We need to go ahead and get a list of volunteers for VTS, So, because from January all the way till July, it'll be planning and building for VTS, and we need the whole community to participate in volunteering and giving time to produce it for the little ones so they have a quality summer program. Uh, if you want to become a member, please fill out the contact form on the website. We will send you a link to the membership classes. Uh, this also just allows us to track you and your grades and to see whether or not you pass the class or not. Uh, and, you know, if you need help in understanding something. Uh, and just so we're, we're watching you, as you in the membership process as you continue to become a member. Uh, remember, you can sign up messaging notifications uh, we just we have those so we can keep everyone on the same page where we have studies during the week if study gets canceled during the week whether that's Tuesday night and pace or in uh, uh, or any other special events that we have coming up uh, we have a sheet on the yellow table so you can sign up on Shabbat or if you're here like tonight or if you are uh, here sometime throughout the week picking up bread uh, or anything else um, we are still looking for volunteers to run the Mevo on Shabbat morning and nights like tonight, Tuesday night, and Okay, there we go. It's back. Sorry, my mic cut out, uh, but it's back now. All right. Um, 
on January 31st of um, 2021. Uh, we have an intercongregational picnic at 12 p.m. There will be more information to follow. It will be in, most likely in Defuniac Springs at one of the local parks there. Uh, again, we'll have more information about you know, the exact location and time uh, to follow, but we'll be meeting there with the congregation from Dothan, Alabama, Rabbi Wayne's congregation in Navarre, Florida. Um, and so we'll have a big gathering and get together, and you'll be able to intermingle with other Messianic believers from across uh, the Pensacola, Navarre, southern Alabama region. So come. It'll be a lot of fun. Hoping the weather will be good for a, uh, Florida in January. And we are still taking money and donations for the synagogue facelift fundraiser. Um, are we going to provide envelopes for that? Or are we just asking people to write? Yeah, just write on the envelope that it's for the facelift fundraiser. Uh, we've got a really good deal on repainting the building. And, um, the, you know, the painting the building isn't just so it looks good, but the paint that we're getting actually will act as a sealant. So it'll help us with water damage control over the years from rain from when we have hurricanes pass through and dump a lot of water on us. So it's a really good, um, really good opportunity for us to get that done. So we encourage you to please, uh, you know, if you, you have the money, if you've been blessed, donate the money uh, that you feel led to donate uh, to that so we can continue to take care of this building so we're here for many, many years. Uh, so prayer requests, uh, please be praying for Fred and Robin, uh, for Jerry and Sandy. Robert, Marquita, Mabel, Jeremy, Misha, Zach, Jake, Gordon, uh, Rabbi Joe Bell, uh, Daniel, Ken, Glenn, Lauren, Kevin, Sarah, Rachel, uh, and Will. Be praying for Timothy, for Tracy, Raphael, uh, Bethany, Lita, Cynthia. Be praying for Amanda, uh, for Jim, Francis, Renee. Uh, for Denise, for Zolina, uh, Terry, David, Rob, uh, Karen, uh, uh, David's mom, and she's doing, she's doing better, isn't she? Okay, she's improving. So, but, but keep her, keep her in prayers. Uh, Richard, Patty, uh, Noah, Tom, and uh, Anita, and Catherine. Is that your aunt, Anita? Okay, there's an Anita on here, but Catherine has an aunt named Anita as well. Uh, she has surgery on the 29th, and so we ask you to keep her in prayer uh, for her upcoming surgery and during the surgery on December 29th. And is there anyone else that I did not mention? Yeah, uh, Fred's having some neck pain, so uh, keep him in prayer that you know he'll be uh, in comfort and will rest and his body will heal, and that he'll be... Uh, Back to back to normal, Miss Linda. Uh, you're, okay, uh, for Tom, what, what was the other name? Oh, it's fever. Okay, so that Tom's fever will, uh, well, first off, so the fever will work what it's supposed to do and get rid of anything that he needs to have killed off, but that the fever will go down and uh, go away and he'll be well and restored. All right, uh, so we'll we'll begin. Avinu Mokenu, our Father, our King. Lord, we thank you for the many announcements we have tonight. Lord, it means we have a prospering community filled with lots of ongoing things, providing for uh, all age groups and all interests, Lord. We thank you that we have the ability to financially and physically 
uh, to host and to sustain these many different activities and ministries that we have going on here. And Lord, we ask you in all the names we've mentioned, the ones that are on our hearts, to, uh, that they will receive the healing they need, Father, whether it's physical and spiritual, uh, both or either or. And Lord, that those who don't need, uh, those who need just physical healing, we ask you to sustain them spiritually because recovering from illness and injury uh, takes, can take a toll on the mind and the heart, Lord. And we ask you to, to lift them up in body and in soul and to restore them uh, fully uh, so that they can, if they're away because they're sick or injured, that they can come and be restored to fellowship uh, once again, Lord, praying and worshiping uh, along with the, with the community um, as a whole. Uh, Lord, we give thanks to you for this day, for the blessing uh, that it has been and that you have given. We ask that this teaching would bring you glory and would bless all those who hear it, Lord, with uh, whatever it is that they need to hear. In the name of Yeshua, our King, our Messiah, Amen. All right, so tonight I wanted to teach on the threshing floor. I touched on this a little bit a couple months ago, only a couple points though, and Sadly, I, I didn't have the time to really go into it like I wanted to because I was also covering other things. But I've been reading a lot about the threshing floor and it's uh, where, you know, where we see it and find it in Scripture and what it you know, looks like, what it represents, what it's used for. And there's a lot, um, probably more than I can cover in one night's teaching. Um, I've gone through at least one uh, doctoral dissertation that's about 200 pages on the threshing floor and its implications for Hebrew society. Just Hebrew society. That doesn't cover the many other you know, cultures across the world who have had them and their significance. But, uh, so I'm going to get into that. So in Hebrew, it's called a, a goren. And in Greek, it's uh, halon. And a lot of times, Greek and Hebrew words will say, this is what it is, and it means these other things. All it means is threshing floor. That's, and I, I like that because it doesn't allow us to really go into any super deep spiritual implications through the rest of the definition. It just is what it is, and if it's a base. And I like that because of what a threshing floor is. You know, it's a flat base. And so it's, its definition, actually, I think, in these languages is fitting for what it is. It's just a, it is what it is, is what you see. And so uh, it's an agricultural tool, and it's central to agricultural communities, especially those of the Near East, uh, anywhere that would have grown grain, so anywhere in Mesopotamia, Egypt, you know, the Fertile Crescent, uh, these places, you know, would have reaped uh, a harvest and would have used them to, you know, divide the grain uh, from the stalks and the husks uh, in order to produce, uh, you know, things like bread and even beer. Uh, there's a huge scholarly argument uh, in Know, early Mid-Eastern uh, academia on you know, what provided the foundation for early cities. Most people say bread. Um, I, I disagree. I'm on the, the dissenting end of that argument that you know, bread is easy to make. You take, you, know, you, you take grain, you grind it up, you have flour, meal, mix it with water, type of you know, a, a yeast, and uh, bake it. You, know, you can put it on a pan of any kind, and those things are portable. You don't need to be, uh, you don't need to have a large, uh, permanent place for the making of bread. And so, uh, whereas beer, you have to actually, 
you know, it has time to sit and it has to be still and it has to ferment. So I, I tend to lean on the side that cities develop not because of bread, but uh, because of beer. So that's, uh, I think, is we can go into cities and why that's a fitting uh, beginning for cities. But, but uh, we're going to, uh, that's, a, that's a rabbit trail that I'll cover another time. Yeah, another teaching. Um, so anyway, there's, uh, typically there's two different kinds of threshing floors. Uh, the one we see and are probably most familiar with is just a, it's a flat surface. Usually it's dirt. Sometimes it'll be paved. If it is paved, it's usually uh, like a slate, you know, flat rock that's um, you know, lined up, uh, kind of like a mosaic where uh, you, know, you have mortar put in between them so that way they can, you know, can brush off easily. It doesn't, water doesn't retain easily in threshing floors. This is usually also due to the fact that most of the time they were sloped just enough to create an angle so that way uh, water doesn't collect and um, because you know you're putting stalks of grain and anytime you have uh, husk or hay-like crops you have a potential for things like mildew and mold to grow and uh, those can uh, be absolutely uh, catastrophic to any agricultural um, reaping. Uh, the other one we see, we don't really see this example until um, much later time period than the threshing floors that Scripture discusses most. Most of the examples we see in Scripture come in the time period of you know, Judges and Samuel and Kings. Uh, David's time period is when they're used the most, and we see the most examples. Uh, the second kind is typically in a barn. So it would be a paved, maybe a cobbled floor um, with a, a roof over it, and it would be more square, uh, you know, like, like you would in a, in a barn. And so uh, the biblical example, again, is usually always the first. It's usually outside. It's usually a large area. You could probably fit one here in the synagogue. Uh, they're usually circular. Uh, it's... it's uh, usually have a, would have a small retaining wall on the outside, maybe shin or knee-high, just to retain um, the crop that is being distributed on the floor. And they have, you know, you have people and animals walking around, so you don't want to kick it um, around to the point where it's leaving the floor where it will be uh, threshed and eventually winnowed. And so, you know, what happens is they bring it in. We bring sheaves of grain. You know, we read about sheaves. Um, and parts of scripture like Shavuot where they would bring, you know, the sheaf. And, you know, we see these, uh, typically they're much smaller for us because we use them more symbolically. It's just a bound, you know, piece of fruit or wheat. Um, but these would have been massive, you know, a you know, grown man would have had to carry this, you know, massive bulk of wheat or barley. And so they cut them up. Uh, they cut them open, whatever they had bound them with, and they began scattering them out. And you have to remember, this would be a lot of grain because a threshing floor, if we did have one the size of synagogue, you're talking about taking probably several acres worth of grain, cutting it open and scattering it flat on the ground uh, you know, in a space about this size. And this would actually probably be small. Most of them were um, rather large uh, just because there would have been so much grain and they had, you know, typically several animals walking around uh, you know, in the threshing process. Uh, they would be yoking oxen and donkeys, things that could walk for a long time and you know, typically had sharp hooves. And they would be dragging behind them a weighted board. So the board um, has weight put on it. You could have stones, um, other pieces of wood. And what it does 
is it grabs onto the grain and the barley and literally just rips it apart as it's dragging along this floor. And that's why the floor had to be smooth. Either the dirt was, smooth, was smoothed out or you had it uh, cobbled with you know, a round stone, something that could be walked on easily and not tripped on uh, for the sake of the oxen, but also so that it was a flat enough uh, um, consistent surface so that way the grain and the board are meeting and that friction is ripping it up. Um, so it's separating the grain from the stalk and the husk, and then oh, everything that's left afterwards is uh, caught up by, and different cultures have different things, but in Scripture we read about uh, the winnowing fork. Uh, we see uh, John talking about, uh, you know, Yeshua, the he who is to come, you know, his winnowing fork will, you know, will cast and, dis and uh, it will disperse, you know, the wheat from the chaff. And that's exactly what they, they would take a, a fork, almost like a shovel, and they would cast it up in the air, and uh, usually these would be on hillsides or open spaces, so that way the wind blowing through separates the lighter uh, stalks and husk away from the grain, and the grain falls right back down uh, to the feet of the person winnowing uh, the grain in the air. And so I, I like to look at the grain kind of like uh, cr uh, are weighty and they're worth something you know they're made with gold and jewels and grain is worth something it's you know it sustains life when baked into bread and so mitzvot is like a a grain of rice a grain of barley or wheat it it brings life you know our master is called the bread of life and you know, the mitzvot, you know, he's the living Torah made up of many mitzvot. And so I like to think of the grain as being similar to the crowns that we will cast at, at his feet. And whether that's the crowns um, on the tallit or on our heads uh, makes no difference because uh, they still have beauty and meaning to them more than just um, the, um, more than just the, what the physical symbols that they are. Uh, they're valuable. So the grain is then sieved uh, to remove any impurities. You know, if this was a dirt-floored threshing floor, uh, you would have wanted to remove anything before it's sent off to be ground into flour or meal to be turned into bread or beer. And so um, I've, I've been reading uh, through a dissertation uh, by a woman by the name of Jamie Waters. And in Scripture, she describes them as uh, what we'll call cultic locations, just how they're described in the, uh, the Tanakh, or the Old Testament, um, not in the sense of them belonging to a cult, but in the sense that they were a part of Hebrew culture and um, community in a religious way, or in a way that associated them with the religion of the Hebrews, with Israel. Uh, you know, because you have activities of life that are um, taking place here. So they're, they're sacred space. They're set apart from, you know, the average everyday uh, life that's going on. You know, we see, things, um, be, uh, we see things in Hebrew religious practice, which, you know, incorporates all elements of life. That's the beauty of a life lived in Torah, is it's not um, a religion that is disassociated 
from your everyday life. It is a lived religion. So everything that you do, you know, how you, you know, how you wake up in the morning, how you eat, how you spend your weekends, all reflects upon our what we view as our religious duty uh, to God. So, you know, we see in Genesis 50, uh, you know, Joseph mourning uh, Jacob, his father, as they're traveling back to Canaan uh, to bury him. Uh, so 50.10, when they came to the threshing floor of the bramble on the other side of the Jordan, they mourned there, a very great and solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning ritual at the threshing floor of the prickly bush, they said, a solemn mourning ritual this is for the Egyptians. And so, you know, we, we see, uh, this is the first example we see of something like mourning happening at a threshing floor. Uh, and I don't want to put my Bible down because I have a lot more to go through, as you can see. So, and uh, we see threshing floor mentioned at the beginning of what will become a marriage in Ruth. And Ruth 3, uh, 2 through 14, we read, um, Now is Boaz, with whose female workers you have been, not your relative? Look, he will be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So bathe and perfume yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Let it be that when he lies down and you know the place where he lies, go down and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. And so you know, Ruth goes down to the threshing floor after they've finished threshing the barley and they're winnowing it. So uh, he'll be going to bed after they've already removed the major impurities. So they wouldn't have sieved it yet, but there would have been piles of grain that were, you know, anyone in their home could have sieved it, you know, if they wanted to. And so uh, they slept there so that way no one would come in and, you know, have a little sack with them and make off with this, you know, finely made, produced uh, fresh grain. And so uh, we see it mentioned in the biblical feasts uh, like Sukkot and Deuteronomy. In Numbers, it mentions threshing floors in uh, tithing, that your children, you know, when you tithe, you know, and really when you obey any mitzvot, your children will be as the grain found on your threshing floor. Uh, so lots of them and a, uh, lots of them, and, you know, so not only just good amounts, but the good grain. Um, we see it in uh, sacrifices. Uh, Daniel, no, David, makes a sacrifice on a threshing floor. Uh, and, you know, eventually where that sacrifice took place on the threshing floor becomes the temple. And it's the foundation for the temple that is built eventually in uh, Jerusalem as it grows. Uh, and so what is its biggest use, practical use of the threshing floor? This is more of a joke, but... Yeah, it work. <laughs> Just agricultural use, because uh, I figured as I'm going through all these life things, we might as well incorporate the thing it would have been used most for. Um, which is funny because we don't ever read about it in Scripture really being used for threshing. You know, the only time it even really comes close, I'm pretty sure, is with Boaz sleeping there on the other end of threshing and winnowing. So they're already done. Uh, we never actually read about them uh, in the midst of threshing. I think a second close would be when you read about uh, David approaching, um, and his name escapes me at the moment, the, the man who, the Jebusite who owns the threshing floor. It's on Anur Avran or something, uh, who owns the threshing floor on Moriah. And 
yeah, he, he, he has oxen out there and donkeys, and David offers to buy the land and the oxen uh, from him. Uh, but it doesn't actually discuss threshing. It doesn't actually talk about um, what it would have been used for. Uh, and so to my knowledge, um, we only ever see threshing floors used in sort of a, um, a sort of a, an, another way, a way that's set apart from what it was designed to do. So I think using that, def, de, de, that definition of threshing floors um, in a way they can be called you know, sacred spaces. Uh, not in the sense that we would view like temple instruments or the tabernacle, but in a, in a way that it's set apart from uh, what it was uh, made to do. Uh, there's an author, uh, Mircea Eliade, who writes a book uh, by the name of The Sacred and the Profane. Um, and she talks about how some things can be both sacred uh, and profane. And later on in her book, she discusses that sometimes we may not even need to maybe necessarily make that definition what the definition probably should be is that some things can be both sacred and um, profane. So they're um, mixed together. And again, not mixed in the sense that we think of not mixing the clean and the unclean, but that uh, you know there can be a place of work and a place of play and a place of uh, prayer and a place of you know, uh, you know, feasting and... Uh, I hate to say partying because partying sounds bad, but that's what... So many of the feasts are, yes. Would it be fair to call it like a community center? Um, yes, yes. So Rivka asked, would it be fair to call threshing floors community centers? And yes, it would be, especially for uh, smaller towns. It would have been almost like a town square, not exactly town squares in like you know medieval history, but uh, I think in the sense of that, it's, an, it's a large, wide open area. You can see everybody if they're walking around it. Uh, because you know trees, it would have been clear of trees, so that way nothing's landing in uh, landing in it that doesn't necessarily need to be in it. Uh, things like you know, because if you have a fruit tree on the outside and you have rotting fruit, you know, fruit falling from trees and rotting again, you have the same problem. If you were to have water build up, it would you know produce uh, you know things like fungus and mold and things that would disease your crop. And so uh, you know, keeping it set apart uh, and away from things that could cause danger to it. Um, as a part of keeping it uh, clean and uh, doing performing its purpose. So, thre you know, threshing floors are profane tools. And it is weird to call it a tool because it's not, you know, we think of a farming tool as like a, uh, a, you know, a backhoe or a shovel. But, um, you know, these very much would have been tools because they were constructed to be, um, you know, it had a purpose. It would have been very much like a windmill, uh, you know, uh, that uh, would have been built, you know, thousands of years later for grinding flour. Um, you know, you would think you think more of a windmill as a building, not a tool, but it very much was a tool. And so, you know, they're a profane tool, but we see them in Scripture as mostly sacred spaces. Uh, we see them mentioned as more as landmarks and milestones. Uh, you know, when they're moving the ark, and Uzziah reaches out to brace the uh, ark as it shifts in the ox cart, it mentions. A passing by at the time. Um, almost, uh, so, you know, and it, the, almost as much as the Bible mentions wells. So these things would have been significant enough where you could travel Joshua's threshing. You know, I've traveled so far. What have you. So they're mentioned as uh, places of marking. Uh, they're mentioned as places of uh, revelation. We see this um, you know, with uh, 
people like Gideon. You know, Gideon. David makes a sacrifice, and although the text for Gideon does not, and I'm going to read this in a bit, but you know, it does not specify exactly that where Gideon makes his sacrifice, but um, I'm assuming it's at the threshing floor because of how in close proximity it mentions both events. And the temple structure. We see the temple, the, the, not only the threshing floor is bought, but the whole mountain is bought for the temple uh, to reside on. So God's house is built on this agricultural tool. Uh, and so um, again, Jamie Waters, the writer of this uh, dissertation I'd been looking through as I was studying for tonight, uh, had written, it is better to characterize threshing floors as agricultural spaces that have a potential for divine contact. Uh, and again, based on how we see them in Scripture, is we never see them really used for agricultural practice. We see it come close, but most of the time we see them used as you know, places where people are either receiving revelation from God or worshiping God, um, you know, or in, engaging in uh, you know godly things uh, like you know uh, what Ruth does with Boaz, you know, asking him to be her covering and to enter into the covenant of marriage. This is a godly thing. This is a divine thing, a sacred thing. So again, a sacred space of sorts. Uh, so, again, as more symbols, we see them used, uh, threshing used allegorically. We see this with Yeshua. We see this in Jose, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff. Uh, this is all threshing floor language, talking about separating the righteous uh, from the wicked. And so, in Judges, let's see, I'm going to go through Judges 6, 17, where it talks about uh, you know, a, you know the symbol of consulting God, where we see God consulted at the threshing floor. So at Judges six seventeen, and we read. Then he said to him, "If now I have found favor in your eyes, then please show me a sign that it is really you talking with me." This is Gideon talking to God. Uh, please don't leave from here until I come to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. Uh, and so he said, "I will stay until you come back." Then Gideon went in and prepared a kid and matzo. From an ephah of flour, he put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the, uh, uh, the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the matzah and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. So he did so. Uh, then the angel of God, the angel of Adonai, put out the end of the staff that was in his hands, touched the meat and the matzah. Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the matzah. And the angel of Adonai vanished from his sight. So this is, he's just made uh, you know, what we would look at as a sacrifice. He's, there's been an altar of rock, it's unhewn stone, it's meat, there's a liquid offering, there's a bread offering. Uh, and so, and this is in the open. And so, you know, we read later down on in 637 uh, where he is because he asks God, see, I am putting a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will deliver Israel by my hands as you have spoken. And it was so. When he rose up early the next day, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And what I love about him asking God to make the fleece wet and to put in a threshing floor particularly has to do with the design of the threshing floor, that it would, it would have been designed to make itself water-free, even if it rained. It, was, you know, it sloped to snow, and it would have been, the ground can be... Uh, you know, channeled out or paved with stone so that the water is made to run out a certain side. 
And so part of me thinks Gideon was like, okay, well, there's no way uh, that, you know, he could uh, make this thing wet and the ground still be dry if water is forced to run out. Um, and, this, and, you know, it won't remain, uh, you know, wet this long. And so I think maybe Gideon's thinking a little bit of how to use the threshing floor almost to test God, and you know, which is not good, but, you know, he does it anyway. And uh, let's see. So, you know, it's a central part of the community. Uh, that's an, I think Gideon definitely made his altar sacrifice very close to the threshing floor area was because and it's in an open space. It would have been kind of like, a, like Rivka was asking, like a community center, a town square. Uh, you know, later on in First Kings, uh, we read about uh, the king and the prophets um, outside. Uh, yeah, now the king in First uh, Kings twenty-two ten, where we now the king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah were sitting, each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of Samaria's gate. All the prophets were prophesying before them. And so, you know, I'm getting this image of, you know, they're sitting outside of this threshing floor outside the city, and the prophets are either, you know, within the grounds of the floor or around the outside of it, you know, praying and seeking Hashem and, you know, prophesying, speaking words of God. Um, again, just as a, there seems to be this looking to threshing floors as a place where you go and uh, find God. You know, so often we think of going up on mountaintops, um, I think that largely comes from, you know, people like Moses, you know, or, you know, men like Elijah who got in the wilderness. But nope, threshing floor is just fine enough for them, apparently, uh, to go out uh, and uh, talk to God. Uh, we see in 2 Samuel, uh, when David makes his sacrifice um, to God on uh, Arabna's threshing floor. And uh, I like to think that he buys all of these stuff from Aravna, not just the land, but the oxen and everything, so that way he owns it and it legally belongs to him. He doesn't have to to make the sacrifice, but um, you know, Aravna is a Jebusite; he's a pagan. So part of me thinks that you know the reason David buys it from him is so he legally owns it, transferred it to him, and so when he makes the sacrifice to God, it is not an animal from a pagan, but it's from uh, you know it's from a Hebrew, and so. Uh, and then in Second Chronicles, you know, we see temple, Solomon begins the construction of the temple on the threshing floor at Moriah um, that his father uh, had bought but did not start because he was forbidden to build. And uh, I made these point, a couple of these points um, several months ago, but I wanted to run through them again that you know, we see the threshing floor serve as a foundation for, you know, two relationships, two covenant relationships, uh, the one being temple worship. That's a part of our relationship with Hashem. He's, we're expected to praise and to worship God, not just uh, with song, with dance, but with our lives and with the things that we bring and we give, and not just money, physical things, but with um, you know, our gifts. So whether your gift be singing or prophesying, speaking in tongues or teaching the word, you bring that to Hashem and that all is incorporated into the, the worship system that God set up and ordained. Uh, and, and then marriage is the second covenant relationship we see, uh, uh, the beginnings of one established at a threshing floor between Ruth and Boaz. You know, because immediately after, he goes to the elders of the town to uh, ask them if he is allowed to marry, if he can take her as his bride. You know, and what I love about 
both these relationships and their foundation is it is a place of working. You know, threshing floor, again, sort of the joke earlier is, you know, we have, you know, all these wonderful things that threshing floors have been used for. You know, the building of a, a, a temple, uh, you know, sacrifices were made. God gave revelation to men like, you know, Gideon. But ultimately and practically, they, they're tools, they're places of work and productivity. And, you know, the Hebrew word for that is avodah, and that's the same word that we use for worship. It's, it's an act of working. Worship is work, because worship is not limited to just um, singing praise or, you know, going through liturgy, although that takes work. You know, you have to practice music, you have to practice Hebrew, practice liturgy. It takes effort, but worship is, you know, extended into the work of our lives. And so, you know, that's one reason why I think it can be, it is extended to the people down in the pits crushing grapes and sieving grain. Like I was mentioning earlier, it is a lived religion. You live a life for Hashem um, anywhere and everywhere, uh, no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're the one building the temple or guiding the ox to the grain. Uh, and it's service. You know, you're, there's yoking and there's pulling and there's bringing together. You're bringing together the sieves. You're casting them out. out. You're yoking the oxen together. I don't know if you've, how many of you have ever been around oxen, but they're big. And they're probably not that easy to yoke, uh, especially if they're hungry. Uh, and there's commandments about, you know, not letting the oxen eat from the threshing floor as they're treading out the grain. Uh, you know, so again, this is a part of... This is a part of uh, scripture and, you know, Israelite history that is just very prevalent, these places of working. Uh, you know, it's a place of separating. It's a place of winnowing, you know. Uh, in Luke three seventeen, you know, it's, you know, it talks about Yeshua casting out the chaff from the grain and that he, the, the chaff will be burnt uh, forever. And, you know, you're separating out the good from the bad, what will be eaten, what will sustain life, and what is only good for the fire, and what is only good to die. You know, in marriage, um, and you know, in my own personal life, in betrothal, you know, we become separated for either our spouse or our future spouse. You know, we, we separate ourselves like the winnowing. You, it's, you know, courtship and dating, if you're doing it right, can be viewed in kind of the same way. You are separating out, winnowing the, uh, we'll call it the playing field, but the threshing floor, of, <laughs> the threshing floor of available uh, spouses, and you know when you when you are down to the grain, uh, and you are separated out for, you know that person, then you are yoked together, and you are to tread out uh, more grain. Yes, in your mind. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, you know, uh, young. But anyway, <laughs> so <clears throat> I like the vision of pulling a weighted board that the oxen pull through the threshing field because it reminds me of in Matthew 11, uh, 28 through 30, where Yeshua talks about his burden being light and easy. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to die. <clears throat> yes, just as long as we die as grain, not chaff. And so uh, I like the, vision, the uh, image of the oxen pulling this weighted board because 
it's not like the oxen were saddled with you know, massive amounts of baggage. It was just a simple board heavy enough to separate the good from the bad. Um, you know, when Yeshua's burden is borne correctly, it separates our grain from our chaff. And, you know, especially, you know, when we are pulling together, and this is not just, you know, marriage, but this is also the community. You know, when the community is yoked together, um, you know, this is also used oftentimes, you know, you know, Paul tells us don't be unequally yoked. That has to do with marriage. That also has to do with things like business ventures. You know, it would not be a good idea for me to invest in a, a large uh, financial enterprise with someone who's not on the same page that I am. You know, if I am wanting to run a business that's off on Shabbat and the feast days and they're wanting the business to be closed and off on, you know, uh, days like Christmas and Easter and not off on Shabbat, making people work on Shabbat, then we are not going to be going in the same direction. And that, uh, that board is no longer going to be separating the good from the bad and helping us to, you know, cultivate good grain. It's, going to be, it's not going to go anywhere because, you know, one ox is going to be pulling this way, the other is going to be pulling this way, and that board will no longer be that burden that light burden will no longer be pulling across doing what it was supposed to do. And so, you know, the, the Torah is our burden. It is our yoke. It is the thing that we, because we walk, you know, through the fields of life, we walk through the, the chaff and everything of life, and the Torah helps to separate out. You know, it makes holy, you know, what is, what's going to bring life, grain, what's not. So, you know, our grain is then sieved, and then our grain is used to build the kingdom. It's used to build life. And not just in uh, you know, religious ideas, but, uh, and I guess with religious ideas, I mean not with simply showing up to Shabbat service and celebrating feast days, but in how you know, we are treating our neighbors in the, uh, the every other day parts of life. You know, how we're uh, treating them in business, how we're treating them when we disagree. Uh, I think you know, today, you know, I especially, can use a lesson often and a reminder often uh, that I still have to be respectful and kind and loving and gentle to people when I disagree with them because so often I can be the ox that wants to tear out of the yoke and just you know burst running across the threshing floor and you know you know causing my burden behind me my little weighted board to bounce around and to even harm it and you know, so, and then again, it won't be doing what it's supposed to do. But you know, when we yoke together um, in our proper threshing floor, wherever that is where God has us, and we're pulling his burden that he gives us, his Torah, we divide up what we're supposed to divide in our lives, and we separate the good from the bad, um, and we build our relationship with God, and it, and it grows. Uh, and this same premise can be extended to, you know, to our neighbor, uh, to our spouse, that, you know, if we enter every day with the premise of serving them, uh, working with them, and, and even praising them, uh, you know, and it doesn't mean praising them like we praise God, but, you know, when they do good things, when they do well at something, we offer them praise, um, you know, and exalt them and, and hold what they do in high esteem. And, uh, you know, that threshing floor that God gives us in the end when, you know, Yeshua, when the master comes and winnows it out for us, you know, we hope to have a threshing floor filled with grain and that, you know, the chaff will blow away easily and then they'll sieve it and they'll pile it up in the center and it'll all be there at his feet and then we will all rest 
at the, you know, uh, at the piles that we've all gathered up. And then we'll go make bread and donuts and, and beer. So, <laughs> so all the good things. <laughs> now, all the good things in life come from threshing floors, apparently. Bread and marriage, it seems to be. <laughs> And beer. And beer. <laughs> but yes, and that's, and that's what I have for you tonight um, regarding threshing floors. So, any questions? Uh, no, it, it, they're not supposed, yeah, uh, the question was um, if I had said they were supposed to muzzle the ox, but the answer was no, Torah commands us not to muzzle the ox, so that way, um, you know, they're able to eat some as they go, uh, because, you know, if you're weighing down a board with stones and it's being dragged, um, and you can watch, sometimes in some countries, they'll actually sit children down on the board, and so these, you know, these animals will be dragging children sitting on the board um, behind, and I think that's even better image is because, you know, especially little ones, because they're, they're laughing and playing and they're having a time being, you know, getting a ride by these oxen. And I think that's a better image of the absolute joy that the burden he gives us to pull behind us is. It's filled with laughter and joy and playfulness. Um, so I think that's a better image. Thank you. Yeah. It depends. You could fit, well, you could fit, uh, you could fit one in the synagogue sanctuary, but you could also have one bigger than the synagogue sanctuary. Um, and it depends on the kind. Uh, again, the ones we see in Scripture are mostly outdoors, so they could be you know, these you know, rather large constructs because all they would have done, the only real structure they would have had at all would have been um, the little retaining wall around it. And that's, you know, you take some surrounding dirt you know, on a, after a nice rainy period and pile it up in mud and it, you know, bakes in the sun and, uh, you know, you, re you re repair it as needed every now and then, but it really it wouldn't take that much to maintain one other than making sure that the ground was smoothed out or paved if you had paved it. Most of them, uh, even today in uh, places, especially places like Africa, most of them aren't paved. They're just very smooth, bare dirt places. Excuse me. That you know of, are there any existing um, sites that are maybe even still being used in Israel that, are, that were or maybe? I think I've seen photos of a, of a place, I think, that does it as a demonstration. So the question was, are there places that still use those kinds of threshing floors uh, for production purposes today? I don't know of that, not on a massive scale, um, just because you know, the, the video footage I've seen of um, touristy places, we'll call it, um, it's only for demonstrative purposes to show you what it's like. Um, now in a lot of the world today, a lot of the world, threshing floors are used um, you know, all the time. Places uh, in Asia, uh, places in South America, Africa, they're used, and they are the main means of producing grain. Yeah. That's cool. No, never is not. 